Morning. Someone left their Mendocino Farms receipt in the pulpit. <laughs> Probably mine. Hey, moms and dads, thank you so much for bringing your kids to church. Especially young, young kids. Today I've met a few parents that have just brought babies to church. I met a man in the lobby, Michael, with his three-month-old strapped to his tummy. His wife is a nurse. She's working right now. He said it's our first time ever in church with Isabella. And uh, Michael is emblematic of many couples, some single parents who bring your kids to church. Thank you. Let's just applaud those people. We really do. We love, love babies and kids in the family of God. Let's dive straight into Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 14. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is the word of the Lord. It is remarkable that we have here the inspired Word of God, that we have here God's breath on a page. It is remarkable that throughout the centuries, the millennia, in all generations, in all nations, God has spoken by His Spirit through this Word. The Spirit inspired the Word, and the Spirit illuminates the Word every time it's preached sometimes preached well, sometimes preached poorly. But if we have soft hearts, not hard hearts, we can hear the voice of God through the Word of God. And I trust that you will today. And Hebrews has talked about how God speaks. He's not silent and He's spoken through His prophets and He speaks through His law and He speaks through creation, but He's spoken ultimately and finally through His Son, Lord Jesus Christ. And now Hebrews 3 
begins, therefore, holy brothers. And that word brothers is not male. It refers to brothers and sisters, the brotherhood, the family of God. Consider Jesus. Therefore, well, well, wherefore, in light of what? In light of the description of chapter two, where Jesus defeated the devil who'd been holding us captive to fear through the fear of death. He defeated him as a high priest. He's made a sacrifice once and for all. He's saying Jesus is worthy of deep consideration. And he's worthy of deep consideration as it says, an apostle and high priest of our confession. Those are kind of big words. What does an apostle mean? Just the sent one. God sent his son as his final word. And as a high priest, Jesus makes a sacrifice as a high priest making a way to God. John Piper said about this, that all of us need a word from God and a way to God. And Jesus as the apostle is a word from God and as a high priest is a way to God, he's worthy of deep consideration. Will you consider him deeply with me today? And the context of this is actually persevering faith. It talks about the wilderness generation and how they saw incredible power and incredible provision, and yet they did not persevere in faith. And you'd think people who'd seen the Red Sea open and manna and quail, surely they would always believe, and yet there's a warning here that they actually hardened their hearts and fell away in the desert. So there's, an, there's a warning about persevering in our faith. And the writer to Hebrews is, is calling us to persevere in light of looking at Moses and contrasting Moses with Jesus. He's saying Moses matters, but Jesus matters more. Moses was faithful in all God's house, but Jesus was faithful as a son over God's house. Why Moses? Well, of course, Moses was the iconic national hero of the Jewish people. Think of Moses and his faithfulness. Even just when I look at, at Moses and his timeline, his perseverance, his faithfulness, I mean, he only started leading the people of God as an 80-year-old and then led them through the wilderness for 40 years. Whenever I consider Moses and his faithfulness, I am just so ashamed of my unfaithfulness, right? You have a bad year or a bad month, you're just like, oh God, where are you? How about Moses? Consider his faithfulness. And I want us in the light of persevering faith just to ask a few questions. What does it mean to wrestle well with our doubts together? What does it mean to be in unbelief? What's the difference between doubt and unbelief? Is there a difference and what is it? And then what does it mean to learn to persevere in faith through the wilderness seasons of our lives. And I think this is especially relevant for us as we've come through what feels to many like a wilderness season in the last two years. But also in the Western church, there tends to be a great falling away right now. The church in the Southern hemisphere, the church in the East, the church in Africa, it's thriving, often under persecution, it's growing. But the church in the West is marked by deconstruction and deconversion people who begin to doubt and then disavow their faith. What does it mean to wrestle with our current cultural moment in the light of the call to persevering faith? 
My friend Joshua Ryan Butler wrote a great article recently on four reasons for deconversion in the Christian faith. And he says this, while there are realities like church hurt, hypocrisy, poor teaching, and unanswered prayer that genuinely cause us to doubt. He says, these are genuine causes of doubt. And I wanna say, if, if you are here and you are wrestling with faith because of some of these things, unanswered prayer, suffering, you've been hurt by someone, you've been let down by a leader, there's been poor teaching, etc. I wanna say, you are safe here. You are among friends. And I wanna dignify your doubt. All of us doubt. And Jesus was always merciful to doubters. Think of Jesus with Thomas. In fact, think of Jesus with all his disciples. Think of the disciples, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. But he goes on to say, but we must acknowledge that while there are realities that cause us to doubt, that doubt is hip. The desire to fit in genuinely causes us, sorry, the desire to fit in with the cultural ethos of our moment is strong. That's why so many deconversion stories sound like everyone's reading off the same script. It's well-worn cliches, signaling conformity to accepted norms. Celebrities are leading the charge. There's influence to be had, platforms to be, to be built, and money to be made. Gets Rob Bell on Oprah, bolsters Glennon Doyle's book sales, and lets Rhett and Link host Nacho Libra and Harry Potter on their popular YouTube channel. So what is it to wrestle with doubt but not buy in to the cultural ethos of our day, amen? What is it to be a people who persevere in faith? Persevering faith is vital. What's more, it's possible. Spurgeon said it was through perseverance that the snail reached the ark. And I love that. There's something to be had from persevering faith. And that's the first big idea from this passage that persevering faith considers its inheritance. Considers its inheritance. Considers its reward. That's why we persevere in faith. And that's how this passage ends. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. There's something to be shared, to be enjoyed from holding fast our original confidence. Verse four contrasts Moses, who was faithful as a servant in God's house, and Jesus, who was faithful as a son over God's house. Servant versus son. What does that mean? It actually talks about inheritance. Because a servant never expects to inherit the house. But a son expects that faithfulness means actually you get the house. He's talking about inheritance. We've come to share in Christ. And the writer affection, affectionately calls these people holy brothers and sisters. It's like he knows them as, as family and, and he knows that these Jewish believers are drifting back towards Judaism. At one point, they had seen Christ as the fulfillment of their Jewish faith, but now what's happening, and if we do our homework, first century AD, Jewish, the Jewish faith enjoyed some religious protection under Roman law. Christianity had no protection, 
religiously under, under Roman law. And so they were going, man, we feel exposed sheltering in Jesus. Let's shelter in Moses. It's gonna be easier. And what this writer was saying is, don't you understand that Moses testified to Jesus. Moses was a shadow and Jesus is the substance. Moses was the clue in the treasure hunt. Jesus is the treasure. He was saying, you can't shelter under the clue. You can only shelter under the treasure. You can't shelter under the shadow. You have to shelter under the substance. But before we go to, too far, we've got to see that he is honoring Moses. He's not dishonoring him in any way. In fact, the word servant here is the only time in the New Testament it uses this word servant. Normally the word servant is doulos in the Greek, which means bond slave, menial servant. This word, only time it's ever used, servant, is therapon, which is like the chief butler in a house. And so he's taking the most revered national hero. Think of Moses, he's saying. Consider Moses' faithfulness. Moses who only starts Man, I mean, actually, even before, he grows up in Pharaoh's uh, palace, then starts to call Pharaoh, let my people go. Imagine the, the courage to call out your dad or your granddad, whichever it is. Let my people go. And then he resists, and so he calls down plagues on Egypt. Imagine the courage, the faith. And then God delivers them as Moses calls the Israelites to slaughter a Passover lamb and paint the blood on the doorpost and the angel of death passes over and then they are just exodus out and the Red Sea opened as Moses stretches out his staff. I mean, consider the faithfulness of Moses. And then think of poor old Mo leading these grumbling, unbelieving, unflipping grateful Israelites who just, I mean, see these displays of power, manna and quail, water from the rock, and they just, oh, we wanna go back to Egypt. Moses leading them through the wilderness for 40 years. Consider the faithfulness of Moses. But then he says, look, if you only think of Moses, you're not gonna persevere in faith because Moses actually dies without going into the promised land. All his faithfulness and Moses dies. And he contrasts Moses with Jesus now saying, look, for a start, Moses was just a man, amazing man, but Jesus was the God man. Moses was sinful. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it and he was kept out from the promised land, Jesus was sinless, but he was judged for the sins of the people. And then finally, he contrasts them. He says, consider Moses. He was such a persevering, faithful guy, and yet he didn't come into his inheritance. He brought the people out of bondage to slavery, but wasn't able to bring them in. But Jesus is able to bring us out of bondage to sin Satan and death, he's also able to bring us into inheritance because he's a son in the house. And what he's saying to these people, he's saying to us, don't focus on Moses too much, honor him. But if you, if you just focus on him, you're gonna go, I'm not gonna persevere, it's not worth it. Look at that, 120 years and he doesn't come into inheritance. And he's saying, actually, you'll give up if you focus on Moses. But if you focus on Jesus, Jesus was, is able to bring you out and bring you in.
One of the primary reasons that people fall away from the faith is they don't realize Jesus has an inheritance for them. That Jesus didn't just save them from something, He's saving them into something. And what happens is like, we thankful that, oh yeah, you forgave my sins, God, and I even kind of, kind of kicked some habits and it's awesome, you know, but you don't have a sense of future inheritance, a future reward. And so what happens is like Egypt, what you were saved out of actually starts to become quite attractive. You just wanna go back. You know why? Because you don't have a sense of future inheritance. And you say, well, what, what kind of inheritance has Jesus got for us? Well, firstly, heaven. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, Jesus in His life, death, and resurrection won us eternal access to God's presence. That's your and my inheritance if we put our faith in Him. But secondly, even better than that, there's reward in heaven. There's a well done, good and faithful servant. Have you forgotten that? Enter into my joy, take charge of 10 cities, have a mansion. I mean, there is reward. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but it's gonna be glorious. It's worth persevering for. It's not just gonna be you floating like an angel playing a harp on a cloud. Heaven includes inheritance. There's also the inheritance of the family of God. Jesus has won us this glorious, imperfect, but beautiful family of God. Brothers and sisters, holy brothers and sisters. Jesus has won us the inheritance of the promises of God. I wanna say, I believe in life after death, but I also believe in life before death. There is an inheritance that awaits you and I as we faithfully hold His promises and we obey and we believe and little by little we inherit what's promised. Jesus doesn't just take us out, He takes us in. Are you thinking of the promises that God wants to bring you into? I was thinking about this this morning. Why don't you pass me my handkerchief, please? And uh, thanks. And uh, it's hot up here, man. <laughs> and just the number of people, and many of you are in this room who have persevered through the wilderness season of the last couple of years. And you're still persevering and you've wanted to give up at times. But actually God is coming through incrementally for you. One of my friends who was, who started to have panic attacks about seven years ago in this church. I remember sitting with him and his wife in his lounge about seven years ago, but God used it to soften his heart. And man, he's just incrementally, he's put things in place and got better about it, got better. Last week, he, he, he reaches out to us and he says, man, I just had a panic attack driving by myself. He says, honestly, over the last few years, like I'm 85% of the way there, but I just had a bad day. Will you please pray for me? And we prayed and I asked him a few days later, how are you going? He was like, honestly, like it's been a great couple of days. Isn't that a great example of how like, we're not there, like we haven't arrived. We're not in heaven yet. Still wrestling with these things, but actually there's a persevering faith that inherits what is promised. He's 85% of the way there, that's awesome. Was thinking about our friends, Mike and SLA Duff, lead a church in Newcastle, England. And they're about 10 years in and honestly, if I can use this word here, COVID was hell for them. I'm not cussing here, I'm just using a Bible word. <laughs> and I would have a monthly coaching call with Mike and he was, he was having panic attacks. 
And he was online for over a year and then people were just criticizing him and he was just wanting to give up. And Ronell and I were just saying, just, just hang in there, like be faithful, God is faithful, it'll come through. And they're like, no, no, can we just come join you? We just wanna leave that land, you know? We wanna come to the land of the free, home of the brave. Where's Karen? And we're like, no, no, just, just hang in there, hang in there. And then they started, started putting in an offer for a church building. <laughs> She's a Brit. We, we love you, we love you. But we got our independence from you. And, uh, and, uh, and the sale fell through their church building. They're just coming out of being online and just such disappointment, depressed, down in the dumps. Like, Mike, just trust God, man. Just, it's wilderness. God will come through, come through. End of last year, in the morning, he just gets an email and the subject heading just says, free church, free church. He's like, free church? He phones up the lady. The lady says, look, we've got this church building. We've got a dwindling congregation and we just don't want this to be turned into a nightclub. We don't want it to be turned into a coffee shop or a business. We want the gospel to be preached here. And we know you guys preach the gospel. We're giving it to you if you're willing to have it. I mean, at that point, he's just like, do I even have a church? Well, he certainly had a building. Didn't have a, I don't know. But this morning, they sent us a photo. Let's get it up there of their first meeting in their new church building. It's amazing. They packed to the rafters. They had to send the kids out before worship. They're gonna have to go to second service. And I'm just like, persevering faith is worth it. There's an inheritance. By the way, we are going there for their 10th anniversary in May. Anyone of you wanna join us? Come, let's enjoy the inheritance. It's an amazing thing. Think of persevering in faith. Jesus is able to bring us out, but also in. Thinking this morning of, of our daughter, Sophie, who this time last year was, was in such a sad and dark place. Like many of your kids, I mean, COVID had just, she'd gone through the ringer. We dragged her off to a prayer meeting out in the tent there. Sometimes you just gotta drag your kids to church and then say, please meet them, Lord. And we were worshiping and she just broke down in tears and ran out. We were like, I don't know what's going on, but I think God's meeting with her. She comes back, we go home. She says, I think God spoke to me. What did, what did he say, Sophie? He said, he's with me, he forgives me, and he's got some work for me in England. And, and, and so we just began walking with some of you. Okay, what, what is it? What does that look like? And she is doing an internship at a church in London. And last night she phones and she's leading worship at a church tomorrow. And she's talking through worship set. Dad, should I do this hymn? And so cool, she's getting into hymns. She's 18 years old. Yeah, you do those hymns. And then she's discovering Keith Green songs from the 70s. I'm like, yeah, the glory. And, uh, but I'm just go going, man, Lord, she has not arrived. She's still walking, but Lord, compared to where she was, what an inheritance. What an inheritance. And I just, I have such a, a compassion for you as parents as you trust God for your kids in their wilderness journey. Sometimes it's like, will they ever see Jesus? Will they ever respond to Him? And I just wanna say, just keep persevering in faith. 
There ain't no recipe for this. We're still in it with our kids, but man, we hold those promises as glimpses of light saying, do not give up for your kids. God loves your kids more than you. And I'm not holding Sophie up as the poster child, please hear me. But actually there has been progress, massive progress. Jesus wants to bring us in to an inheritance. Some of you who are wrestling with addiction, wrestling with your temper, you just go, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of wandering around in the wilderness. But you persevere in faith incrementally. You inherit what was promised. You don't just hold on for heaven. It's actually an inheritance this side of the grave, amen? And then there's the warning piece here. There's a warning that persevering faith is not just worth it, it's actually a vital sign that your faith is alive. In other words, if you stop persevering, there's a real question over whether you were saved in the first place. And I wanna say, man, I don't wanna make you angry, but I do wanna make you sober. Because there's this verse five that says, we are His house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. There's an if, there's a condition. In other words, the confession of faith that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord, that's what saves us. But the proof of faith is that you continue holding fast that original confession of faith. There's the doctrine of perseverance of, of, of the saints, which means you will only be saved if you persevere, and all those who are truly saved will persevere. You are His house. That means you are part of His family if you hold fast your confidence and your boasting. And that's a sober warning to you and I. Because the warning here is that miracles, the power and provision of God are not an assurance that you are saved. These Israelites, the wilderness generation, they experienced God's saving power in the Passover and the Red Sea. They experienced God's providing power. And you think, well, that's it. Like if I see God powerfully enough, I'll never doubt. Well, how about these guys? They saw all that. They still hardened their heart. They grumbled. They tested God. They provoked God and they died in the desert. That's a sober warning for you and I. That just because you and I saw the power and provision of God does not necessarily mean that we are His house. According to this verse, profession of faith is vital for salvation, but persevering faith is the evidence of salvation. Do you mean to say to me, Alan, that in 1993 when I went down Angel Stadium and there was the altar call at the gospel rally there and I just felt God tug on my heart, I put my hand up and Chris Tomlin was belting out is how great is our God and it was just this moment, man. Do you mean to say when I put up my hand, that was not enough? I wanna say it's not my job to say whether you're saved or not but just a profession of faith with no evidence of persevering faith is not enough. And the problem is this, the Californian church especially really rides hard on that moment and doesn't ride hard enough on the journey. 
Now hear me, I think there's two ways to be wrong about persevering faith. The one is in the way that I was raised. I was raised in a holiness church that really focused on sanctification, like changing your life, right? And I didn't have an assurance that I was saved. And so in weeks when I doubted or weeks when I sinned, I'd just be going, oh my gosh, I'm not saved. I felt like I was dangling by a thread over hell. And it wasn't good. It wasn't the gospel. And actually because of that, I developed a real fear of death because I didn't know if I was secure in my salvation. That is not what I want for you. I want you to have a high view of the grace of God, that actually you did not choose Him, He chose you. That if He chose you, He adopted you, He's not gonna unadopt you. That if He adopted you, He justified you, you are safe in His hands. His grip on you is, is, is more important than your grip on Him. I want you to be secure in your salvation. But I wanna tell you, I don't want you to have a false security in your salvation. Because this is the other way to be wrong. And that's that, oh yeah, 20 years ago, or well, five years ago at a youth camp, I put up my hand, I made my profession, and there is no current evidence of holding fast. You're boasting in Him. You're boasting in something else. There's no obedience. There's no submission. There's no followership. I wanna say you should not be so secure in your salvation. There's a way to elevate the grace of God too high where you feel you don't have to obey. And that's not biblical. You tracking with me? I know this is challenging. I'm not trying to shame you at all. I'm just trying to help you be sober because this is a warning and I don't wanna pull the punch of the warning here. And so what I, what I wanna call you to do is boast in the grace of God that saves. It's not your perseverance that saves you. It's God's grace that saves you. But then trust that that saving grace turns into persevering grace. And that is not an absence of doubt. There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. This passage warns us about hardening our hearts in unbelief. That results in testing God and provoking God and ignoring His Word. That's different to doubt. Let me give you a definition that I think will help you. I think doubt is when you simply doubt your beliefs. All of us have that at some point. Unbelief is when you actually believe your doubts. You see the difference? There's a hardening. At one point, it's a soft-hearted, humble wrestle. Lord, help, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm struggling with this. On the other, it's a hard-hearted, I actually believe my doubts. And then you get real cynical, and our culture loves a cynic. And you feel good about how skeptical you are. And then you buy into the deconverted crowd and you feel good about yourself. And these are signposts that you're falling away. And so we must understand that persevering faith is a sign that we are saved. You are His house. If you hold fast, you're boasting and your confidence in hope. So finally, I just wanna ask the question, so what do I do if I find myself, because of the wilderness, because of suffering, because of disappointment, because some leader that I loved and respected has just crashed and burned, what do I do if I find myself in that? 
How do I not allow doubt to turn into unbelief? I know you're asking the question, right? Well, Hebrews is so helpful because it tells us that persevering faith is a communal project. Persevering faith is a communal project. Verse one says this, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in your heavenly calling. It's a plural, it's a shared inheritance. And I think one of the reasons why we don't persevere in faith is that we think, oh, holy brothers and sisters, I can't share my wrestles and my backsliding and my skepticism and my doubts with these people because they are holy. But that's a wrong understanding of this word holy. This word holy is not about some kind of morality that you have achieved. It's about a status that you have received. Holiness in the Christian gospel is not achieved, it is received. He has, through one sacrifice, made holy those who are being made perfect. That's what it's talking about. Holiness literally means through the sacrifice, we are acceptable to God. And so when you understand the gospel, dear holy brothers and sisters, you don't fear that you're gonna get chucked out of heaven by admitting your doubts. Because actually, heaven is not something I, I achieved, heaven is something I received. So I'm super secure, secure enough to bring my doubts and my wrestles and my hard-heartedness into this community project and be exalted. I wanna tell you, if you do, you will find people merciful. I was praying with our engaged group. It's a group of about 15 men in the morning and we've been doing Tim Keller's book on prayer. And I get different guys to lead at different mornings. Well, one of the guys that led it this Wednesday, he starts off by just saying, I'm so sick of prayer. I'm so frustrated. Like we're talking about prayer, but I still find it just so hard. And I'm just like, whoa, okay, this could be fantastic or really terrible. And he says, in fact, I'm so frustrated, I drew a diagram of my prayer life. He's an engineer, so like he's got this whole diagram and it's like, oh my gosh. And then the guy's like, that's so helpful. He's like, this is what I do when my prayers don't get answered. And I go back here and I ask God, what are you doing in me? I mean, I can't explain it, it was super helpful. And because of his vulnerability, guys started confessing. The one guy was just like, I just get brain fog when I pray. Other guys just like, I get so distracted. Other guys just saying, the only way in my wilderness season I can pray is by complaining to God. I just, there was such a holy moment of honesty that actually then turned into a holy moment of faith. It was beautiful. Perseverance is a community project. I'm gonna tell you our marriage is a community project of persevering. We have a weekly prayer walk. We're on the way out. We will just unburden our souls and then we'll pray on the way back. About three weeks ago, I unburdened my soul to Renell about a fear I have, like actually a paranoia I have. And I've been quite ashamed of this thing. And I bring it to her and she begins to exhort me and then pray for me. And I wanna tell you that thing just lifted off. She asked me a week later, how are you doing with that thing? I said, I, I, it's gone. Now some of you are saying, oh man, the pastor's paranoid. 
But I want to tell you, there's, there's, there's such a grace when we bring that into the light and people exhort us. It's, it says this, take care, brothers, in verse 12 here. Take care, brothers, lest none of you fall short through an evil, unbelieving heart. You read that, that's offensive. Evil, unbelieving. Like when I think of evil, I don't think of unbelief. How about you? I think about like child molesters and terrorists. No, evil, unbelief. In other words, when doubt has hardened its heart into believing doubts. Unbelief is not passive, it's active. I believe my doubts. And he says, take care. Take care of each other when you see that happening. Are you brave enough to your husband, to your wife, to your friends, to people here to say, hey man, I'm not going all super religious on you, but I see a cynicism in you that scares me. Hey man, there's a hardness of heart. Hey man, I see you. One of my sons, his buddy is, is here. And his buddy one day called my son out for scrolling during one of my sermons. <laughs> and my son talked to me about it and he was like quite angry initially, but actually it was really good. Because he was like, yeah, no, I shouldn't be scrolling during your sermon. And he was like, but dad, it's like you, you know what I'm saying? It's like your voice. So, you know, I'm like, can God not speak to me, to you through me? I don't know. <laughs> But I was actually just so thankful. It's a good buddy, he didn't shame him. He's just like, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Don't, don't harden your heart. Expect the Holy Spirit to speak to you, even through your dad. Can speak through a donkey. Can he not speak to your dad? But the devil knows that isolation will cause doubt to flourish into unbelief. That's why he will isolate you. Because it says this, take care lest any of you fall short through an evil unbelieving heart, but rather exhort one another as long as it is today. See, the devil knows the power of exhortation, which means encouragement, the power of exhortation to crush unbelief. But we've got to be willing to bring it into community. Brothers and sisters, I believe in therapy. I go to a Christian counselor every month. But I wanna tell you over the decades what has been the most healing therapeutic thing for me. It has been sitting under the preached word of God. It has been singing the gospel with the people of God. It has been breaking bread and drinking grape juice in faith in the Son of God. It has been having hands laid on me. That has been the best group therapy ever. And you know what? It's free. It's much cheaper than therapy. And I'm not playing one off against the other. Hear me. We love our counselors, our spiritual directors, our therapists. We partner with them. But boy, there's nothing like that. And so I wanna ask today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. Today, ask the Holy Spirit to show you the voice of God through the word of God. He can, 
and he will. But you must consider Jesus. Consider him deeply. The reason why we drift and ultimately fall away is that we have a shallow consideration of Jesus. And the anchor of our faith is shallow, so it kind of drags along the bottom of the sea floor with the tides and wind and waves. But to consider Jesus is to take the anchor of our faith and lock it deeply into the rock of all ages, and you will not drift away. But, but consider Jesus deeply, amen? Let's pray. Before we go to communion, I just wanna give you an opportunity. If you're saying today, I am hearing the Holy Spirit speak to me that I must make a confession of faith in Jesus. I've never made one, but today I hear His voice. It might be even a whisper, but, but I hear His voice and I wanna respond like today, do not put off. When God is speaking today, don't put it off until tomorrow. And I just wanna give you an opportunity to say, Alan, I'm sticking my hand up as a profession of faith. That's what saves you. We've been talking about persevering faith, but I wanna say profession of faith is something that God wants to lead you to today if you're not saved. And is there anyone here today that's just saying, today I am professing, I believe in Christ. I believe that He's the, the, the Word from God and the way to God, and I'm putting my faith in Him. Is there anyone up there? Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus. Jesus, you are our way to God and we put our trust in you. We thank you that nothing can snatch us from your hands and we trust in you. And then before we go to the table, I just wanna ask that if you have been exalting the grace of God so high in a way that you don't actually hold fast currently to a confidence and hope and your heart has got hard and cynical over time and you hear the Holy Spirit convict you, I just wanna ask, it's not for me, but as a show of faith to heaven to say, God, I want you to help me to persevere in faith. This wilderness season has knocked me off course, but I'm coming back to you and I have felt a, such a hardness of heart. I'm asking that you would soften my heart. Won't you put, put your hand up quickly if that's you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, come and meet your people. Holy Spirit, you speak to your people in the wilderness and you whisper, God's goodness to them and His presence and His faithfulness. Won't you do that right now? And I ask that there would be a softness and a quickness of response to your word in these people, that you would in increase their confidence and their boasting in you, that there would be repentance if they've boasted in something else. And I ask for all of us that you would give us courage to bring our doubts into the community project of persevering faith. Amen.